You are now listening to the Whip Cream Podcast with Bianca Harris. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we're going to jump right in today. Dr. Vivian Lee, if you want to introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. Um, so I'm Vivian. I am a psychologist in Toronto. Um, so I, I specialize mostly in trauma. So I also you know, see depression, anxiety, uh, substance use, chronic pain. Um, I mean, there's a lot of overlap between all of those, but uh, my main focus is trauma. Uh, when I was going through graduate school, I was focusing more on um, impact of trauma on child development. So like physical abuse and neglect. And then as I went through my schooling, uh, my focus changed a bit. So um, what I see mostly now is um, trauma, cumulative trauma, so um, in, in operational stress. So uh, I see a lot of first responders, um, I see some military, um, but of course I, I see people who have experienced traumas in, in other ways, whether it's um, assaults or, or accidents or um, some kind of major injuries. So that's, that's basically my main focus right now. The reason I reached out to you was because, I mean, I think I told you this that day, but I really connected to a lot of what you said. I found that your perspective was really interesting. Because I've spoken to other psychologists, but it just, some, I mean, I think you have to find somebody that connects and works for you, of course. Mm-hmm. But a lot of what you said really resonated with me. I don't remember what it was, but I just remember the, that feeling that I had. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I really like, it just made sense. Clearly um, my wisdom didn't soak in. <laughs> no, it did, it did, it did. I just have to, I would have to, I mean, it was, a, it kind of got a little bit heated. So the debate was like fast and so many moving parts and a lot of different subjects. But a lot of, I, I actually liked a lot about what you said about mindfulness and how to work that into other aspects of like healing, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to start with this because I thought it'd be an interesting question. Why did you get into this um, as a career? Into psychology in general? Yeah. Um, I think I've always been interested in psychology. I was that kind of nosy person who was always asking why, why this, why do you, why are you doing that? And um, I think also when I was uh, when I was a kid, I was quite. I was very quiet, which people find hard to believe now, um, but uh, I, I was very shy and so I think I spent a lot of time observing and you know, watching people from the outside and uh, it just it got me interested in why people do what they do, why people say what they say. Um, and then as I was going through university, I kept coming back to psychology and um, and so I, I think what I, what I originally wanted to go into um, like abnormal psychology, clinical psychology, my interest um, back in the day was more in at-risk youth, and uh, I, th- I think there's a variety of reasons. Um, I mean, one, I mean, I, I had some struggles, you know, when I was younger going through, and, you know, I just think about how differently I could have turned out if I didn't have a supportive family, and, you know, I didn't have to worry about food on the table. Um, you know, I, I had some fairly good social support, and, uh, and I did well in school, and, you know, looking back, I was quite fortunate and if you change any of those variables things could have been very different right if I had an abusive family if we were living in poverty or if I had um, a severe learning disability my path could have been very different so you know I, I wanted to look at some of those factors that where people aren't starting off in that even playing field um, to you know kind of help get everyone get people on the same playing field so then everyone has more of that equal chance to move forward um, and I just, I guess I just, um, I transitioned into trauma 
and it's gonna sound this might sound a bit odd because you know obviously trauma has a lot of major impacts on us physically emotionally cognitively um, you know thinking wise but uh, I also see highly resilient people so even when people are struggling after they've gone through major traumas whether it's you know long-standing abuse or whether it's a major accident or witnessing something people are much more resilient than they think and they always feel like they're not always but they often think like they're broken or or damaged and I, you know, I, I look at look at what you're you're doing look at what you're how you're still standing after all this and it actually makes me a, a bit in awe of what the people's strength and what they can get through even if they don't feel like they're doing too well it I mean it's it sounds funny because you know I, I work with people who who are going through trauma all the time and they they always come in my office and they're like uh, you know I'm crazy I've lost it on me I'm broken and I can see why they are they're feeling like that because there's a lot of changes and struggles but like look at what you're doing still look what you're doing day to day taking care of your kids or you know if it's cumulative trauma I'm like, look you continue to work and take care of people around you for a very long time that's that shows me resilience and it's just gotten to the point where it's, it's a bit too much and we all need some help at times and that's that's what I see how would you define trauma uh, well, there's, I mean, there's the clinical definition. I mean, trauma just, in, I'm, so I'm going to talk about trauma in general and not something that might meet criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I think trauma in general is something that just, you know, massively shakes up our, our sense of safety, um, our sense of security, our vulnerability, um, may result in major changes in how we, we see ourselves or, you know, our relationships with other people. So basically, it's this massive shift. Um, in how we view ourselves and how safe we feel. Now, it is a bit different when we talk about PTSD because the, the traumas that um, would be considered for diagnosis of PTSD are a bit different. So, um, this would be events that um, you know that uh, cause significant injury or threat of significant injury or threat to our, our safety, um, or seeing you know other people very badly uh, injured, um, you know. Even if we're never hurt physically, um, having that threatened. So if someone puts a knife in my face or, you know, if my family's caught in a hurricane. I mean, those are all things that would be examples of traumas for people. So like an event that happened that would create trauma but a different level of it almost? Yeah, it's because it, it activates a certain part of our, our, um, our stress response, our, our fight or flight, fight, flight or freeze response. And so that's the important component for a PTSD diagnosis. Um, but also, um, and this is... this. Going back to my work with you know first responders or people who are you know nurses or people who are in um, in professions where they encounter this kind of human tragedy and suffering a lot of the time, you do get used to it. Um, but I think a big part of that is you're seeing this constant suffering and the moral injuries of seeing bad things happen to people and very tragic circumstances. So um, those are the kinds of traumas that would fit under PTSD diagnosis. But that's not to say that other things in life can't be traumatizing. So, you know, if I watch a loved one, you know, pass away from cancer, that is certainly traumatizing for me. That wouldn't be considered a trauma for a PTSD diagnosis, um, but that would certainly be a trauma for that person. Right. Okay. I kind of get it a little bit more now. Well, it's just if, so for, for those kinds of events I was talking about, it's, it's something that activates our, um, our fight, flight, freeze response. So basically, um, we're threatened, our safety is threatened, or we see someone else's safety or life even threatened in some way, and it activates this, this entire response, right? So it, it activates the, our limbic system, which is our, our brain's fear processing system. 
So it activates this whole um, cascade of responses, like the adrenaline, and gets our body ready for action. So yeah, you can feel it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if, you know, there's a bear in front of me. I'm gonna have certain reactions, right? So my my brain is gonna kick off this whole process of this cascade of physical reactions, um, emotion. Gonna feel this kind of panic, fear response. Uh, cognitively thinking-wise, attention-wise, I'm very focused on the threat. It's hard to focus on other things around me. And so it's this kind of activation of our limbic system, so our body's, um, our brain and body's fear response. So it, it's kind of a different process that happens as opposed to if I'm watching a loved one pass away from cancer. That's very upsetting for me. It's, 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 you know, it's traumatizing for me, but it doesn't quite activate that same kind of limbic system Got response. Got it. Got it. Okay, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. So let's say someone has gone through um, you know, child abuse when they were younger, um, or you know, some kind of sexual assault when they were younger, you know, and they kind of got through and they've been going about their lives and you know they've been re- living relatively okay, and then a trauma happens, and it could be totally unrelated, it could be a car accident, um, but again, it, it kind of it kind of um, violates that sense of safety, our, our sense of um, you know we 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 don't like to go around feeling vulnerable, and so it can activate that sense of violation and vulnerability. Um, so it, it's tough. It, Why you know. do we hate being vulnerable? I mean, I know I hate it all the time. <laughs> I hate being vulnerable. Why do we hate that? Because <laughs> it's scary, right? It's basically like, you know, a, a turtle lying on its back, right? And exposing its soft belly. You know, it's it, it's it's scary because people can, our safety can be threatened, right, physically. Um, but also it's that visceral response to that, you know, oh my gosh, my safety is being violated. Um, but also the fear field. People will think I'm weak. People will think I can't handle things. I'm a failure. People might take advantage of me. It's it's pretty scary because not everyone reacts very well when people show them vulnerability. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because then you're, you know, when you're a kid, you're vulnerable because you don't know anything otherwise. Mm-hmm. And then you grow up, you learn to kind of like hide that because of like rejection or whatever has happened a long time ago. It's like you never forget that. I mean, I know for me, like, being vulnerable with certain people in my life or like my dad or parents it's just like it come like this wall I yeah. feel it coming up and I'm like nope not doing that with you right because well, you it, I don't even know where it comes from but something and in our society I think uh, well not just our society I think in most societies we receive very invalidating responses so much of the time and you know people may be well-intentioned you know growing up big boys big girls don't cry right or kind of suck it up you know it's not that big a deal or, you know, you, you open up to someone and say, uh, you know, I'm really scared about something. And they'll say, well, you have nothing to be scared about. Right? And it's not that people mean to invalidate others. It's just that it's, that's what happens. Right? So if I'm opening up and I'm a little kid and I'm opening up to my parents and they say, yeah, yeah that's not a big deal. Like, shake it off. It's, it's not very validating to me. I, I get, you know, you can see where they're coming from. but me They're trying to fix own, it. Yeah, right. exactly. Because it's very uncomfortable for most of us. You know, if someone comes up to me and says, well, I'm a psychologist, so it's different. <laughs> but before I was a psychologist, if someone came up and, you know, they're talking about how how sad or scared they feel, I may not know what to do about that. And I may I will not understand if it's something I don't relate to, if it's some kind of, I don't know, they had a spat with their friend and, you know, I don't personally think it's a big deal, then I may tend to invalidate it without meaning to. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's just basically how... It's the responses we've gotten from others growing up. Right. But what I found, too, I mean, even though I hate doing it, it's like if I'm forced into the situation of having to do it, something really beautiful can happen because it's, it tends to be those moments where you're really being super honest with whoever yes. it is in your life. 
um, I guess I'm, I'm relating vulnerability to like having conversations with people or just saying things that are not uncomfortable, you know, like when someone's life is ending, then you end up saying all the things to them that you wish you would have said exactly. all that time, right? That kind of thing. So, um, it's what helps, uh, it's just what helps us trust each other. It's what helps deepen our relationships and our friendships and, and help us grow. Right. So if I am, you know, I'm sure we all have, you know, friends where we, we don't, we're not that close to maybe we go to the movies with them. Maybe, you know, we do some sports with them but we don't really talk about stuff. And so they're a nice friend, but it's not, it's not, you're not deep in that friendship. You know, but if you sat down and kind of open up about things and they open up about things, you, you have a better understanding of each other. You, you're, you're, you're fostering a deeper connection and that helps that relationship grow, right? So it's the same in, you know, intimate relationships. It's the same in, you know, family relationships, friendships, even work relationships, if, you know, depending on the circumstance. How we, we connect with others. Well, and what I what I see all the time, and you know, and of course I do. I mean, I'm human too. Is you know, we're, you know, people are going through a hard time, and they tend to distance from others, right? Because you know, it's hard for them to be around people, or they don't want to be, you know, they don't want to show weakness or whatnot. And that includes distancing from loved ones. And so, of course, if I'm on the other side of that, and I don't know what the other person's going through, and I just see them distancing themselves. I might think they don't like me, they're mad at me, they don't care about me, they're not asking how I'm doing. And that's going to create that big distance, right? And so often I, I have clients or friends, you know, who say they're complaining about, you know, their loved one or a friend who's, you know, kind of distancing themselves. And I say, well, have you, have you told them what you're going through? They say, oh, no. Like, well, it might help them understand because what they see is you distancing yourself and they don't know why. And when we don't, we, we always like to look for explanations, right? And if we don't know why someone's distancing themselves, we tend to take it personally. So unless someone's telling me what's going on in their lives, I can suspect, or I may have no idea, but until they tell me, I can't understand what they're going through. I can't or, try or to- Or sympathize. Yeah. yeah. You know, show some empathy, some support, you know, try to help them in, in any way if I can. Maybe relate some of my own similar experiences if, it, you know, if I've gone through something similar. And so that can put up that big wall in, in relationships. For sure, because then you're thinking, you're on the other side thinking, they don't really care. They're just too busy working. They don't, they don't give a shit. I'm not going to bother. The, the, whole, the whole recording in your mind when, when, I mean, we all do that. Mm -hmm. All of us do that. You just assume the other person is like this bad. You kind, of, you kind of make them into like the demon in the situation, right? Because it sometimes is easier to deal with it that way. I don't know how we got there. <laughs> but, uh, well, I mean, with, with relationships and, um, and with ourselves, like when we go through a hard time, you know, I talk a lot about post-traumatic growth because... Post-traumatic growth. Post-traumatic. Okay, got it. I just wanted to... Okay. I mean, so basically, if, if nothing change, if you don't change anything, nothing's going to change, right? And if you want a deeper connection with a friend or loved one or whoever, something's got to change and one of you is going to have to show more vulnerability. And then in ourselves, if we're going through a hard time, when people think about trauma, they, a lot of people tend to see it as like a, a life sentence. And it, it's not like that. It's, 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 but it's basically, it's really hard in the meantime. It's basically like burning things to the ground to let something better or healthier grow. Right? So it doesn't mean things are going to be perfect, um, but things can be a lot healthier. Right? So it's kind of like a controlled forest fire. Right? So um, people will burn certain parts of, of forests, not because they're sadistic and what, you know, everything <laughs> is burn, but because, you know, you're burning all the unhealthy stuff down. And then what happens is that healthier stuff can grow. And that's how I see the experience of trauma. I love that so much. 
Yeah, it's, it's you know, that's that's how I see trauma. That's how I see, um, you know, if you're having issues in your relationship, you have to get uncomfortable and down and dirty in it with yourself or with the other person to let something healthier grow. But if you don't kind of put things down a little bit, it's not going to change. Well, it's like I, I, I thought of, like, building a house almost. It's like you can't have that house be um, strong and be able to withhold the weather if it, uh, the foundation isn't there. Yeah. That's such a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could apply that to, like, everywhere in my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not all at once. <laughs> not all at once. <laughs> but, but it's hard, right? And then, you know, with the controlled forest fire, it's still pretty devastating, right? You're, you're burning a lot of vegetation, probably some animals, which, you know, it's horrific for me to think about as an animal lover. So it, there's a lot of devastation that can happen. So it's not a fun process. It's not a nice process. It's, it's, it can be awful. But if you do it and you're open to what happens, that's where something better can grow. I mean, no one's ever, no one wants to read a biography of someone who writes Oh, I had this amazing life. I was born into a great family. I had straight A's, went to the best universities. You know, I had this CEO career, beautiful family. That's I'm very happy for them, right? But that's that's not interesting. There's more going on too, though. Yeah, usually. That, that's not how we grow, <laughs> right. right? It's when we face adversity. Sometimes we have to fail, which really sucks. But those are the times when we can really start growing as individuals or, you know, as a couple or friends or whatever the, whatever the case may be. How do you find, <clears throat> like, I would wonder in your position how you would deal with someone who won't even go there, like doesn't want to create the forest fire, doesn't want to, but is still complaining about the problems. Like, how do you deal with some, like a situation like that? Well, I mean, no one wants to face the forest fires. Okay. They're not going to say, Good let point. me die for it. Right? Good point. <laughs> um, but I, you see that. And the, and the thing is, I can, you can't force someone to, right? They, so if someone comes to see me, I mean, if they're coming to see me, they're clearly, there's something not going well in their lives, right? Even if they're, you know, their spouse has said, you need to go see someone. Um, even if that's <laughs> the case, something's not going well, right? And so I'm not going to, I can give education, I can talk about how, you know, the benefits, but it doesn't matter if they don't see it, right? So um, if someone's coming to see me, you know, I'll usually try to get at, why are you here, right? There's something going on. What can we do about it? What's not working for you, right? It's kind of helping them figure out for themselves um, what they want to change, what they want to see differently, and then we can talk about how to get there. Right? But it's never going to work if someone comes in my office and I say, okay, we're going to do A, B, C, and D. And they're like, oh, hell no, I'm not even touching A. Right? <laughs> so it, it's helping right. them figure out if they want to change something and why that is. Yeah, so kind of have like a goal in mind, mm -hmm. even if it's in one area. Yeah. Right. To switch gears a bit, I think, I mean, I remember a little bit about what we talked about on the panel about um, technology. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it came up or where, where it even started, but I thought it was a really interesting conversation. I think you and I had started like a side combo about it, <laughs> but um, I, I know for me, I don't remember ever growing up. I'm 32, so I kind of like, we didn't have cell phones in high school. Like we just, we just jumped onto that. I think maybe when I was in college or something. So I didn't have, we didn't have the phone, mm -hmm. but I don't ever remember growing up and having like anxiety or 
I mean, I always had suffered with depression my whole life. I remember that very clearly, but anxiety and like having that like feeling or like shortness of breath never happened until maybe three or four years ago. And I mean, just my intuition tells me that there's something to do with the phone and something to do with the fast pace of how we live now. Um, I don't even know what my question is necessarily, but what do you find in your practice? Do you find that that's something that's really impacted people that you talk to and how do you, how do, how do we how do we start finding a way of like coping with this like incredibly quick life and the phone and like I feel like I'm constantly just having to be connected in order to get my job done you know I'm getting stressed just, just you're, you're like right to, to oh my text God. Right <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry <laughs> um, I mean in, ter in terms of increased anxiety and you know other um, mental health difficulties these days I do think a part of it is not so much a massive increase I think there's there's more awareness um, so people are being more open about it and they're going to their doctors and, you know, getting diagnosed. And um, whereas many of the people might have had anxiety, you know, let's say 20, 30 years ago. But didn't know. Didn't recognize it, certainly didn't talk about it. So I think, I do think part of the increase is this increased awareness and decreased stigma. Um, but yeah, I, I'm so glad there was, there were no smartphones. I'm very glad there was no social media when I was growing up. So I am older than you. <laughs> let's just say that. But um yeah, I mean, it. it's tough. I mean, so with, well, social media, for, for one, it's, there's, you're, people are constantly comparing themselves to others and what they, what they think other people are living or, you know, the images. I mean, no one's putting up themselves, you know, you know. Crying, depressed in their room. <laughs> exactly. I mean, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, people are putting forth their, their best faces and best lives. And we tend to compare ourselves to that. Um, in terms of, of um People not being so nice to each other. I mean, there's always been that. I mean, we're all human. But before it was, you know, I could go to school or walk down the street or whatever it is and someone's mean to me and it sucks and, you know, I'm upset. But then I get home and I'm safe, right? No one is going to be breaking into my house to make fun of me. Right. Now, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I don't remember that. Um, but now it's, you know, you can be at home in bed. You know, you can log online and, you know, there's people can be very mean to each other. I think that anonymity of, you know, typing behind the screen, you forget there's another human there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you you know, in terms of technology, it's just we never get a break, right? We never know when the texts are going to go off. And, uh, if, you know, if you get emails to your phone, you know, they may go off at any time of day or night. And each time it's like this mini, like, you know, stress response, right? Especially um, with, I think, work-related emails. But every time it comes, it might be a, Oh, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Is this going to be stressful? You know, do I do I need to know about this at eleven o'clock at night? Um, so we don't really get a break unless we force ourselves. Yeah, and I, and I think that's and I'm you know I'm guilty of this too for sure. And I think a lot of people they're not doing enough of that. They're not kind of unplugging right. So even just having a couple hours a day where you don't have any phones or technology around you, you know, just kind of being present with ourselves. And I know mindfulness is kind of a buzzword these days, yeah. but you know I think of it more of the, the kind of present focus, right? We're we're so much thinking ahead, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Am I going to screw up? Am I going to be okay? Or thinking about it in the past. Why did I say that? That was stupid. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done this. You know, or we're we're on our phone and we're looking at, oh well, Julie did this and Sophie did that, and oh my gosh, like Andrew's so lucky. And you know, we're never, we're rarely here. We're rarely. In the present, we're rarely where we are at this moment. And I know that sounds very basic, but I mean, even, you know, if you're listening, just look around you. 
how much of your surround surroundings did you notice before this? Like, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? We're rarely here. We're rarely present in our in our bodies. You know, what's going on there? Am I feeling tense? Am I feeling relaxed? We're rarely really with the people who are around us if we're on our phones. Right? And it's, it's, I think it's really important. And I have to. I struggle with this. Is to take a, a like a serious technology break regularly. And it doesn't have to be hours and hours a day, but even like an hour a day. Unplug, you know, pay attention to those who you're with or read a book or, you know, watch a show without checking your phone. Just something that keeps you present where you are. Totally. I mean, I, I have to, even when I don't feel like going, like I go, I go to like, um, um, like a Kundalini yoga class where you meditate for like an hour and a half. And half the time I don't feel like going. But as soon as I'm there, I'm like, thank God I got in my car and came here because I, you don't even, like you said, I'm not checking in with myself throughout the day. But then I get there and I'm forced to kind of, no phone, be present in the moment. And I'm like, wow, I was really like anxious or irritated. Didn't even kind of notice. It was lingering under there almost. Yeah. Um, but I almost wonder like how this is rewiring our brains, if that's the correct word to use. I don't know if it's rewiring, but it's just, I mean, I even feel a difference in the way that I think about things. Like even my patience is like, you know. I need to get my email back. I need to, like, you know, like, why didn't they reply? Like, it's like, I'm like, I don't even have the patience to wait anymore. I mean, I, like, I'm certainly no, I'm not a neurologist, right, a neuro neuroscientist. I'm no expert, definitely. But um, with our phones or, you know, the likes on our Facebook and, you know, those things kind of constantly going off. I mean, that's, we're constantly getting that kind of dopamine rush, that kind of rewarding um, neuro neurotransmitter. Um, that makes us feel good. It's that kind of, that pleasure reward. Um, you know, our stress response is, is going, you know, pretty frequently, um, but we're not really activating as much that kind of the, the, the part of our brain that has sustained attention, right? Where I'm focusing on something for a long period of time without interruption, right? So we're activating the yay reward, yay reward, or stress, 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 but not so much of the sustained focused attention, right? And so over time, if you're over activating certain parts of your brain, those are going to become the default. So then we can, we may just generally feel, you know, have trouble paying attention or, you know, have the stress response more often and just kind of feel tense and on edge a lot. Yeah. I mean, I feel that for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm working on it for sure, but I mean, there's moments where I'm like, why do I constantly need to be entertained or like listening to a podcast or listen? Like, it's like, I'm like, why is my, why do I constantly, I don't remember ever be feeling like that, you know? Like there when were... I was young, I used to read like no joke because I was a very quiet kind of nerdy kid. Right? And I used to read like eight books in a day. I used to just sit in a what? and read eight books in a day. In a day? Yeah. Well, I mean, they were kid books. Right. You know? <laughs> but, but still, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I would just sit and read and like my family couldn't move me and like because my attention was so focused. Now, you know, I'm a, I'm a news junkie online and I'll have a news, news article open on my browser but then before I finish reading it, I've opened like five other news articles so I can kind of keep going back and forth. And, you know, I know my attention has drastically shortened with all of the, the internet and social media. Yeah, it's it's almost freaks me out within myself. Yeah. And then even when I start noticing it in myself, I'll start noticing it with people around me. And then I'm just like, whoa, I, get, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I get a little scared by it because it's like, what's next? How much quicker can we go? And I, I do worry about... Um, with kids with their developing brains right because again if you're over activating certain parts of your brain those are the part that become the default they become um they become overdeveloped relative to other areas um so if you have kids from a young age 
you know, I'm like kids' movies and shows, like my niece is seven, my nephew's two. And if I sit down and watch like the Lego movie with them, I feel like I have ADHD because it's, really? it's just, it's so fast paced. There's so much stimulation all over the place. And I just think, I look at what they're watching and, uh, you know, growing up with, the, you know, like the iPad and the smartphones and things like that. And I, I do wonder how that's affecting their developing brains. I don't have the answers, but I think, you know, as they get older, we might see some differences in the wiring of the brain. It has to be. There's, I mean, even when, so when I was away in Europe, uh, I was visiting a couple family members' homes that they don't have Wi-Fi, like, period. And so I was like, well, I'm taking this. <laughs> I'm taking this break, even if I'm forced into it. And, it, like, it takes you two, it takes me two days to literally be, like, not looking for my phone or whatever. And then I just noticed how much less anxious I felt, less kind of, like, preoccupied with what else, what other people are doing. I was just kind of forces you to be in the moment as hippy dippy and uh, whatever as that sounds nowadays it just forces me to like be like oh yeah I forgot what it's like to like be a human <laughs> and just have dinner and talk and you know like the simple things I'm like craving you know because we may be having the best time of our lives and be with people we really like but then you know with social media it's like well what am I missing out on what am I missing right now I should check my phone is there something else going on and so again even though I may be having a great time where I am but I'm still not fully there, not fully present, because I want to check out what's, what's happening out yeah. there. Yeah, it makes me feel sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to be so depressing, guys, but that's, <laughs> that's just where my brain went. Well, I know. I mean, the first step is awareness, right? I mean, it, it's it's social media and, you know, um, you know, a lot of the smartphone technology, it's designed to be addictive. And so it, it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Right. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, I, I'm, I've connected with so many more people on social media. Sorry. It's okay. I've connected with so many more people on social media um, who I've lost touch with, so it's great. And I can be informed, and I think um, much more of the world's population is informed on, you know, events going on around the world. So I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, so it's, it's not about technology being bad. It's just right. being mindful and aware of how we use it. And um, you know, you know, reading things with taking some things with skepticism that we read online, um, taking breaks. I mean, last year I got a dog, which and I so when I walk. What around, kind? Random mutt. She's adorable. Really? Um, yeah. What's her name? Riley. Cute. Riley got sprayed by a skunk for the second time last week. <gasps> so Riley's oh not in my good books right now. Are but. you kidding? <laughs> oh my gosh. But uh, I try when I so I'm lucky enough to live across the street from a park on the water. And so I try really hard, unless I'm expecting um, a work message, like, within that hour, I try really hard not to take my phone. And it forces me to go out, and I'm with her, which I really enjoy. I'm on the water, even though I live downtown Toronto. It's, it's very quiet there most of the time. And so it forces me Nature. to be present. Yeah. Yes. So that's been really great for me, because it's kind of a forced break from yeah. technology. For sure. For sure. Um, so... Last kind of thing I wanted to touch on. Um, I know for me, I've, I mean, I've struggled with addiction probably my whole life, which is really interesting to me because I didn't really know that until recently. <laughs> it's like something that was always there that I'm like, oh, okay. Like I finally was put, putting the pieces together within the last year of my life and then kind of noticing things within my family and how far deep that kind of runs. So like I have to even be just careful with my phone. You know, because mm -hmm. everything will become an addiction with me. Mm -hmm. Everything. Like, <laughs> that's just where my, like, natural, like you said, um, 
default of my brain will go, mm -hmm. whether it's food or drugs or alcohol or TV or whatever. Like I'm just like, Foo! obsession. Yeah. Um, and so I'm kind of pushing that in, not pushing, but I'm kind of like trying to utilize that that's my brain mm -hmm. and use it for more positive things that are not going to hurt me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's a work in progress, but, and I've talked a lot about it on here, but how do you find, like, how does this come up in your practice with people? And how do you find, like, I mean, even just like tips and tricks on how to alleviate those obsessive thoughts in the moment, if that makes sense. Obsessive, like that impulse to... Um, so it could be with anything. Like I'll, I'll see like a pair of pants online and I'm like, I need to like obsess about these pants until I get them. Right. Makes sense? Mm -hmm. So, and that could be with anything. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, um, well, a, a lot of what gets us in trouble is like that kind of impulse control. Like I have to have those pants. I need to have that drink or whatever it is. I need to check Facebook. Um, so even just learning to pause a little bit, take a break, walk away. Um, so, cause if we just, if we just kind of, um, give into all our impulses, you know, forget <laughs> it, we'll be broken, fat, and alcoholics. So, yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, just kind of pausing. So taking that break, whether it's walking away, whether it's, you know, calling a friend, whether it's, you know, just sitting back, doing some deep breathing, just, just slowing things down, right. Bringing you back to where you are. And then, um, you know, kind of, it, it, I mean, depending on the situation, um, kind of looking at other other ways of looking at the situation so the pants isn't as good as an example but um let's say i i want a drink right and i and i know it's not probably good for me so like of course i need to kind of pause and maybe get away from the temptation just for a bit and then refocus on why do i want that right now right is it because okay. i'm stressed is it because i feel lonely um you know is it to help me fall asleep so it's kind of just looking at the at the, the bigger picture What's going on in the background of that? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. And what will help me get that effect instead? Right. So if it's because I'm really, really stressed, I want a drink. Okay. What are some things I can try before having that drink? Right. Whether yeah. it's texting a friend or, you know, whether it's doing some yoga or going for a run or, you know, walking, walking a dog. Something to break up the thought even for a bit. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's something that, it, that addresses why you want it. Right. So if I'm really stressed, okay, I need to do something to reduce that stress. Right. Before I go for the drink. Right. <laughs> Oopsie. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that only because I'm, I guess because I'm more aware of myself, I notice it a lot. In other, I'm not going to go around being like, hey, do you know you're, <laughs> you know, but I do notice it a lot with people that might not even know that they're addicted to something, mm -hmm. really. And I see it tons with the phone. See, it's like hard to have a conversation or break them away from it. Yeah. And that's just another addiction in my mind. Like, that would be the definition of it. Um, something that kind of takes you away and isolates you and isn't necessarily the best thing for you. And you kind of almost can't say no to it. I mean, the perk <clears throat> of the internet and smartphones is to, one of them should be to connect us with people. But <laughs> we use them to not connect with who we're with. I mean, it drives me insane when Does I'm it? with, you know, with a friend we're having dinner or a drink or something. And they're constantly checking their phone. Well, then why are you sitting here with me? Totally. Right? And so, but I get it. Like I get the temptation because I've probably been guilty of that too, right? So it's just, it's something to be mindful of how this affects us and how it affects the people around us too. Yeah, for sure. Because there's a huge impact, I think, 
I've noticed it with myself because I'm so hypersensitive to like everything now. Um, where I'll be the on the receiving end of it, and then I'll be getting kind of pissed at the person, and then what comes out isn't the vulnerable person; it's like the pissed person. Like, who do you think you are? <laughs> yeah, and they're like, now I really want to go on the phone because I really don't want to hear this. <laughs> so anyway, just just a bunch of random thoughts that I would I I kind of wanted to ask your opinion about. Yeah, um, I mean, these are very relevant. I mean, I think most of us are experiencing a lot of these stresses and these types of thoughts, and kind of like, why are you on your phone when you're with me? Kinds of situations every day totally totally um <clears throat> i think that's it unless there's anything else you wanted to add or maybe where people can find you if that's something you want to share sure um so i just wanted to finish off with uh, moderation is the key right so social media is great i mean in my opinion you know technology is great it's just being mindful of what what it's doing for you so what's it good for and what's it not so helpful for um and then you can find me on twitter at Dr. Psych Ninja. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> D-R-P-S-Y-C-H-N-I-N-J-A. Um, or uh, Vivian Lee, V-I-V-I-E-N-L-E-E. If you Google me plus psychologist, you'll, you'll find um, like the clinic where I work at, which is WGM Psychology, um, and a couple other organizations I'm involved with as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on. I'm glad we got to get this done. I know we were kind of <laughs> working on, on scheduling it a bit, but I really appreciate it. Well, so, thanks for having me. It's yeah. been fun.